how about we don't try and make food perfect because it's not perfect, just like life's not perfect. If you're recycling, that's awesome. But you also need to look at all these other pieces and you don't have to be doing them perfectly. The first step is reduce, then reuse, then recycle. They are in order. Get inspired by people fighting to make this world better for everyone. This is Unwasted with Imperfect. Hello and welcome back to the Imperfect Podcast. I'm Riley Brock and it's my job and pleasure each episode to chat with folks focused on making the world a more delicious and less wasteful place. Have you ever wondered how to become a more informed and involved citizen? Besides voting and staying up to date on the news, how can we stay truly engaged on the issues that matter in our community? Today's guest has built a one-of-a-kind, inclusive community gathering space focused on answering this important question. Despite having to shut his doors due to COVID-19, he's kept hosting important events online and also runs a podcast of his own, where he's interviewed everyone from the co-founder of Facebook to Barack Obama's campaign advisor. He's a beacon of positivity, and it's a true pleasure to have us with us, have him with us today. Many Akutiel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Riley, it's good to be here. And thank you so much for thinking of me and including me in this. I love Imperfect Produce and wish I could have like an imperfect tomato right now around me. It's a hot day. It'd be nice for a tomato. Yeah, absolutely. The summer weather, it's like all I want is tomatoes and, and stone fruit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. it's a joy to have you, you know, I think a lot of us are thinking about civic engagement these days, right? You know, we're both... <laughs> yes, wonder why. <laughs> we're dealing with some serious upheaval uh, in the U.S. while also continuing to navigate a global pandemic. And if we haven't forgotten, there's an election on the horizon. So I mm. think this this idea of like, how do we build space, li- literal physical space, but also just uh, emotional space for civil discourse, I think is so important. And so I want to start there with the space. You know, you have a space in SF's Mission District where you set out to create a central and affordable place to become a more informed and more involved citizen. Why did you decide this type of space needed to exist in San Francisco? Because I didn't see a place like it already, and I felt like uh, a place with this mission was going to be extremely necessary. Uh, Well, first of all, I think a space like this is necessary no matter what, but I think in particular, the election of Donald Trump um, awakened a lot of people who otherwise weren't really paying attention to politics and why it mattered and who was a part of it. And I wanted, I felt that there were, it was important for a place for those people to go to continue to get engaged and actually start and continue their journey of being a more active citizen in the years uh, after his election. And so, um, you know, there are a bunch of moments where this idea percolated, but one of them was trying to find a place to watch the presidential debates, the Clinton-Trump debates, yeah. and not finding a place to do it in my neighborhood. And there were so many places screening, you know, the, the Warriors game, which, you know, is important, I guess, <laughs> to some people. But, yeah. you know, where are you going to watch the presidential debates? And let's say you, you generally want to become more engaged on issues, environmental issues, human rights issues. Um, but you don't necessarily want to just surf the internet. I mean, there are lots of places to go to, to learn how to do things and to experience things. Why not politics? Hmm. I love that. This idea of like, yeah, we have sports bars. Why don't we have uh, politics bars? It, it, yeah. sounds, it sounds almost silly, but then you remember like when this country was founded, a lot of the important conversations happened in pubs and coffee houses. So it's not actually ludicrous to think like these communal spaces really matter. It's not even when this country founded, just. I mean, San Francisco, of course, has a long, deep, um, powerful history of politically active 
um, food and beverage spaces. Yeah. You think about the bars uh, and the ca- coffee shops of North Beach. You think about the bars and coffee shops and restaurants in the Castro. Um, you think of Hate Street, um, of course, in 1967, and what, how, how those spaces were used as free clinics and free libraries and yeah. um, gathering and organizing spaces. You think of Polk Street, of course. And so there's, I mean, this is a very, this is not a new idea, a new concept. This is as San Francisco as hmm. it gets. I love that. You're, you're tapping into the, to the city's roots. What, what I think is fascinating about your space is it's a hybrid space, right? Like you, you have this community space, but it's also a cafe, an event space. It's a sort of bookshop. You know, you could have easily just opened any one of these, uh, you know, venues. You could have had a cafe or a bookshop. Why did you do all three? Why a hybrid space? Um, well, so we're, we're at a nonprofit restaurant within the space, which I imagine we'll get to. Um, there's a coffee shop and bar component. Uh, bookshop and then a gathering space in the back that seats about 200 people. Wow. Um, the food and beverage was essential as the entryway because food and beverage is neutral and everyone's got to eat. And also people, I didn't want to make people choose between going to an event, participating in politics and nourishing themselves. Right. You can have a beer, a good beer (laughs) and join a conversation or discussion on criminal justice reform or watch the presidential debates. You don't have to choose between, uh, you know, one or the other. So I thought that was important because I see Manny's as competing with other social spaces, not political spaces, right? Yeah. I don't think people are choosing between going to Manny's and going to a church basement to, you know, lick envelopes. They're choosing between going to Manny's and going to, you know, Suvla or, you know, the bar down the street. And they're like, well, we can get a drink at Manny's and actually I kind of want to watch this movie on transgender representation in the media kind of thing. Mm. The bookstore is just an ode to the long and deep history of the connection between the literary movements uh, and these types of spaces. The newspaper was literally thought up and created uh, in the coffee shops of London. Yeah. Um, the first newspapers were thought up similarly. The encyclopedia was written in Café Procope in Paris, where the, when, where the French Revolution was cooked up. I mean, so this history, this connection between books, coffee, politics, um, alcohol, food is very is is it, it all it, it works and, and i was inspired by busboys and poets of towards the dc which has a similar combination of gathering space books food and beverage that's really nicely said and i don't think i had connected the dots that way so thanks for you know leading me there i think that's that's so fascinating one there's actually a long history here both in sf and also across the world and two yeah, I love what you said that this is actually a way to make it more open to people. Like, because you don't have to choose. Like, you can, if you want to get a beer, you can get a beer. If you want to buy a book, you can buy a book. And also, why not stay for the documentary screening, the discussion, the debate? Like, I love that. It's inviting and it's inclusive. And it strikes me that's one of your core values here, right? Is accessibility and inclusivity. I'd, lo- I'd love to hear more about that. Why is it such a core part of your organization and how have you woven it into what you do? Yeah, I think it's a great um, weakness of activist movements, at least the ones that I've kind of seen, which is there seems to be this like high bar that people put if you want to like get your get involved in something, you know, that, you know, you need to be of a certain kind of purity, you need to say all the right things, you need to like know what to say, and you need to like somehow ferret out and figure out where to go to actually do something. Enough of that. You know, no more of that. I think it should be just as easy to participate in civic life as it is to hang out with your friends at a bar. Frankly, because we need everyone. 
right? Like we don't need to exclude people. And I think frankly, the left does a really great job of excluding people and it, and, and, mm-hmm. it, and it's to our, to our detriment. Um, and so totally with Manly's, you know, it's a, it's a not, it's not a nonprofit. It's a, it's an LLC. And that's because we are 100% partisan. We are not nonpartisan. We're not bipartisan. We are a democratic space, a liberal space. Yeah. But within that, I don't care how you define that. I don't care what kind of liberal you are. I don't care what that even really means to you, but you know, you're welcome in the space and there's programming and events, excuse me, and there's uh, opportunities for you here. Um, and so we're all about not creating divisions, creating unity and problem solving and being productive. Awesome. I, I think that's, that's really important. So keeping it open-ended. So, I mean, when you say like, it's kind of open to anyone, you don't really care how they identify, like, what does that, what does that mean in practice? I mean, like, you know, I think if you look at the, like, dividing lines on the left, you have anywhere from a, I guess, a, I guess you would call it an anarchist to a quote unquote moderate. Yeah. Right. And within that, you've got progressives and liberals, you've got your standard Democrats, you've got communists, I guess, democratic socialists. Yeah. You've got people who don't even know what any of this stuff means. Maybe you have some independents in there that aren't really that jazzed about any party affiliation, but, but support social equality, legal equality of folks. And my thought is um, we need to be a bigger tent. Yeah. Um, and, we, and we need to, I don't care if you, if you say you're a progressive or a liberal or a Democrat. If you believe that people deserve to live with full liberty and equality, um, I want you as part of my a part of my 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 group, and I want yeah. I want you to help me make it happen. Mm-hmm. And partly, it's just because you know, I, in my short lifetime, I'm only thirty years old. I've seen people fight for me, right? I grew up during the same sex marriage fight. My first summer in San Francisco, I was a street canvasser for same sex marriage, and we needed straight people to come and help us out. And you didn't yeah. have to. I don't care, and you didn't have to care how that person identified. If you were willing to help fight for my right to get married. I'm with you. Um, yeah. And we need to bring that to all sorts of movements, certainly the immigration reform movement, lots of other movements. Um, and I come from a conservative family. My family voted for Trump. Um, I love them. And if I want, I, I can't, I can't put lines in the sand because I wouldn't be able to, you know, have conversations with my sisters. We were just talking about this yesterday, my staff and I, hmm. how like I want my legacy to be that I will sit down with anyone hmm. because, because how, and I, I will never say, because of who you are, what, what, what way you identify, I don't want to meet you. I don't want to talk to you. Hmm. That's not how I do. That's not who I am. And that's not what the space is about. And frankly, not to say I'm so great and put myself on a high horse, but I wish more people on the left were like that. Because how else are you going to change people's hearts and minds? You know, we are our best advocates. Yeah. No, that, that's really beautiful. This idea of like, let's create an open table where anyone could sit down and, and at least have a conversation, even if you don't see it eye, eye to eye at the start of it or even at the end of it you can at least have that safe space to have that conversation. Right, because to, to put up that wall is to presume that there's some point in our human lives where we're done learning, yeah. which is just not how our brains work, not how our hearts work, and it's just not based in reality. Because mm. we are always learning, it means that everyone has an opportunity to be taught and to learn themselves. I certainly feel that way about you know how I view the world. And so I see every difference between myself and someone else, whatever that might mean, as an opportunity for both of us to learn a little bit. Yeah. Um, now, I think I'm right. And I think the left is right. And I think the Democratic Party is the right party. Um, and I'm, I'm going to fight for that tooth and nail and explain why I think that's right. But I want to sit down with people. 
I'm mainly on the left who might have disagreements um, because we still have a lot to learn from each other. Definitely. Yeah, you know, while we're talking about acceptance, you know, we're recording this just on the heels of, of Pride Month, and you've spoken publicly about your own journey to reconcile your identity as a gay man with your Jewish faith. You know, what has this journey taught you? That you don't have to choose. Okay. Uh, my faith is so important to me. Yeah. I, I definitely consider myself a person of faith, a religious person. Um, I, my religion is Judaism. Um, and that is the filter through which I see the world. It's the, the lens that I, I view the things that happen to me and around me. And I love my faith. Yeah. I love my people. I love Jews. You know, I, I just do. And I love my God too. And I, um, and it's powerful to me. Um, and frankly, so necessary. And I think my journey to reconciliation was realizing that, um, you know, human beings are fallible. A few human beings are, um, you know, they make mistakes and they, we all are on a path of some kind. And that I couldn't really fully rely just on humans um, to give me solace, to keep me from being lonely, to, to, uh, to allow me to understand what this life is all about. And so actually needing to rely and lean on the Jewish God, in my case, uh, as a as a source of solace and a salve to me, helped me make it through my process of coming out. You know, mm. because my my community was not would not have been accepting of me, and so I lost the humanity a little bit, and then went and then in that um, leaned deeper into my faith. Um, and you know, my politics is informed by my faith, and I work in politics, and so it's all kind of one strange usually happy family. That's really but touching. Jews, but Jews are deeply motivated by social justice. It's part yeah. of our faith. Okay. Interesting. You know, do, do you have any advice for anyone listening who's trying to kind of make peace or figure out their own identity? That is such an interesting question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. I think it may be a little bit self-explanatory, but your friends will be your survival. <laughs> because 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 queer people understand the idea of chosen family better than almost anyone and just this morning i was if you were on the corner of guerrero and 18th at 8 30 you would have seen me on my knees on the concrete fully sobbing crying on the corner because my best friend in the city uh, who i've known since i was 14 she left this morning to move to la Mm. And I wrote my goodbye card to her. Like, you are like my skin. You are like my sister, you know? Now, I have a relationship with my sisters, and I love my sisters. But oftentimes, family can be a really not not a great place for gay, queer, whatever people to yeah. get the support they need to be happy. And to, and that's, that, that's not okay, but it's a reality. And so your friends can, can replace them, and that's okay. Your friends can be your family. Tiffany is like a sister to me. And so I would, yeah. I would say like, find those friends, keep them close, treat them with love and respect, hold on tight to them because they'll make the journey so much, especially the journey of finding love hmm. um, and losing love and heartbreak. I think it's hard for anyone, but as a gay man, you know, it's lonely. There's this whole idea of gay loneliness. It's like, will I find someone? 
there's so few of us out there. When you find someone, you are like, oh my God, I found someone. Then when it doesn't work, which you know doesn't always work, you're like, oh my God, I'm never gonna find anyone because just the numbers are not in my favor, right? Having friends to like guide you through that emotionally turbulent process of loving as a queer person is really important. Lean on your friends. Amazing uh, wise words there, I think for everybody, honestly. Uh, yeah, yeah the, the friends are the shock absorbers a lot of times, especially as you get older and become more of an adult. Uh, yeah, that's really well said there. Um, you know, pivoting a bit, I'd love to talk, we alluded to it earlier. Uh, let's talk about the food at Manny's because, you know, you're working with an organization that's really near and dear to my heart and our work at Imperfect, which is Farming Hope. But for those who haven't heard about them, can you tell me more about Farming Hope and your partnership with them? Such an amazing organization. They've been operating the restaurant at Manny's since day one. Um, Kevin and Jamie approached me as I was handing out stickers on the windowsill of Manny's when we were doing construction. And, um, they were very insistent that they operate the restaurant. And at first I was pretty against it because I'd never operated a restaurant before and I didn't know how to operate a restaurant. And so I wanted to bring someone in that knew what they were doing and had experience and they didn't. I mean, they did pop-ups, but, uh, but I took a chance on them and I'm so glad I did because it's such a great fit mission-wise at least and otherwise. Their food's amazing. But it's a, it's a training service kitchen. So the folks that work in our kitchen, there's some staff, but also there are apprentices who are formerly homeless or formerly incarcerated or both and they go through i think it's a 12-week apprentice program where they learn how to work in a restaurant they're given jobs skills, real hard skills that are in demand right now um and some of these folks are like going back home to shelters or don't have homes or yeah. don't have traditional homes um and they're they're being given the the greatest gift which is you know work but also purpose right something to do. Uh, and, um, that's so important. And they, when they graduate, they're given full-time jobs, they're placed into full-time employment at a series of partner organizations. I think over 25 people have graduated from the apprentice program at Manny's and now have full-time jobs. And these are, they've only been open for a year and a half. So that's a real impact on people's lives. And that's hundred percent farming hope. And to their credit, they have just exceeded all expectations and are amazing. And the food is vegetarian, Middle Eastern food. Wow. That sounds awesome on so many levels. So again, I love it. It's kind of this hybrid space within a hybrid space. Like you don't just have a cafe. It's a cafe that's a form of kind of life stability, guidance, rehabilitation, educational, vocational training, all rolled up into delicious vegetarian Middle Eastern food. Yes, though I can't take any credit for that because that whole piece is done by Farming Hope. I'm I'm nearly, you know, a a space creator for them, but they're Mm. doing the work. On one other point on the on the how we utilize F and food and beverage to further the mission, we have a free coffee basically policy. So anyone can come in and get free ritual coffee. It's nice coffee at any time. And the way we afford that is when people buy coffee, we ask them to pay it forward. So they can add Mm. however much money they want on top of their coffee. Um, we asked them and that money goes to giving free coffee to people who can't afford it. And at our peak, when we were, you know, open, open, we were giving, you know, a hundred, 150 cups of coffee away a day to mainly unhoused people, but also yeah. people that just didn't have, you know, a couple bucks in their pocket for a cup of coffee. Yeah. That's really lovely. I, I, I would love to see more of that in the world. This idea of literally, yeah, literally paying it forward and just having it's generosity. So yeah. It's so easy. And you could do it at restaurants, you know, you could do it at coffee shops, at bars, you know, and people do do that. You know, they pay for the next person's thing, but there, there really aren't places that um, think about equity and pricing very much uh, because frankly, it's hard enough to run a business without focusing on that. But I just, I'm not, 
I didn't go into this to run a coffee shop or run a restaurant or even run a bookstore. Like hmm. I'm an activist. That's what yeah. I do. That's how I define myself. And so I'm like, well, how can I make owning a coffee shop further, you know, other goals or, or just help, you know, in some way. Yeah, no, that's really great. And I, I, it seems like a core principle of what you're doing to me is, is almost facilitation. Like you're creating the space for someone like Farming Hope or rather the people at Farming Hope to come in and do their thing at, a, at an amazingly high level in, in a way that where you're just like allowing their expertise to shine. Which I think that's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's, I believe in, I believe in the importance of physical space. Yeah. And it's obviously a tough time to, spread the gospel of physical gathering when that's exactly what people are being told not to do, but this will be over at some point. And when it's over, I maintain my belief that, um, we need, we need great places to go, to do things, to be together. I think we're going to need that more than ever after this is over. And so, um, it is an honor to be able to create place for some, create space for some of the things that we are doing. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. You know, let's talk about this transition because you, along with everyone else in food, beverage, hospitality events right now are, are having to do a dramatic uh, kind of remodel of your business model. Like, So t- talk me through how has COVID affected you as an event space? Like, how have you had to adapt? Oh, my God, it's been terrible. Um, yeah. We lost everything. All of our revenue is gone overnight. I mean, we have no, no events book I and mean, we have online series and the Manny's super civic cyber conversations was really successful. Um, and that transition pretty much instantaneously to a very beefed up, we did 112, uh, civic conversations with folks from Cory Booker to Dolores Huerta to Stacey Abrams to the chair of the DNC, Tom Perez, all the way down to like wine experts and trumpet players and, um, the owner of the Bay Aquarium, right? Like it was mm. all sorts of people. Um, those that was a great way to bring in donations and sponsorships, but the rentals and the event ticket, the ticket rent revenue, I mean, basically all went to zero. Um, the restaurant obviously is closed. And so it's been very hard. Manny's is like the perfect storm of like, it's a venue, which is like not going to happen. It's yeah. a restaurant, which now can be open for outdoor, but it's peanuts. Yeah. Um, so financially it's been very difficult. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, what, what are you still doing? Uh, you know, what can you do and what are you still doing right now to kind of keep, keep it up? The only thing that is really keeping us afloat is our monthly sponsors. So we have, you know, we have a certain amount of individuals, no corporate or for-profit entities that pay a small amount of money, pay a small amount of money monthly to support the space. Yeah. And I'm, that is saving us. Um, and that's allowing us to continue to do the civic programming that we think is really important without, uh, during this time, because the staff, my four full-time staff, um, that are making all this happen and that the sponsorships is what's allowing that to happen. Um, and it came out of the understanding that my business model didn't work without community support, financial Mm -hmm. support. We can't do, we can't be as generous and as understanding and as, um, have equity principles be front and center um, without the community kind of supporting that. And they did, they've come together. They continue to support us. Um, I'm actually going to send an email to the sponsors right after this. And um, it's really heartening to know that it's possible to do this this way. To have a business on Valencia in San Francisco in this tough economy that's being held up by hundreds of individuals. Hmm. 
That's yeah. Again, that's a very counterintuitive, but beautiful thing about your model. I think is it's very like almost decentralized. It's, it's community. It's for the community and by the community, which is really rare to find you, know, especially in like a big Metro, like SF. That's, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. But that was also the model for these kinds of spaces before. Huh? I mean, if you look at the union halls, the VFW halls, oh. even some of the civic clubs and stuff, it was all like that. It was all kind of ragtag, you know, groups of people coming together, putting a little money in a coffer. Actually, if you look about, if you actually look at ecclesiastic organizations or, you know, synagogues and stuff, I mean, in a way, those are a similar model, right? It's a yeah. bunch of people, maybe not the Catholic church, but it's a bunch of people, mainly, certainly synagogues, because there's no like central Jewish coffer. You know, you have a group of people putting money in to create a space where they can be inspired and be educated and gain something from it. And that's what keeps it going. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So again, it sounds like you're you're tapping into a, a historic tradition that's maybe just been uh, kind of neglected by the broader business community. Um, so no, some people are doing it, certainly. Yeah. I mean, Borderlands Books on Valencia is supported in large part based on about a thousand people that pay a certain amount of money per, per year um, to, to ensure that a sci-fi, mystery, incredible, you know, bookshop stays in their community. And so, you know, I'm not the only one that does this. Lots of people do this. And certainly our arts and culture in institutions rely on this. The symphony, the theaters, KQED, NPR, all mm. these places, the Roxy. Yeah. I mean, these are, these institutions, um, if an institution is going to, if the business model is going to focus on something other than just squeezing money out of people, I think you're gonna, in this day and age, you're going to need the community to believe in it and support it. Definitely. And we certainly, that's not how we think about things. Yeah. I don't even know how I would do that. It seems like you've, you've had a lot of interesting speakers and events and gatherings. Like what have, what have been some of the commonalities about the ones that you feel like really helped achieve change or get people mobilized around an issue? Like how, how can folks actually get involved in like re, in real time? Like what's, what are some of the best ways to do that? Well, I mean, I think the through line, it sounds so trite and overused, but I think it's true, is the power of storytelling, right? Mm. Like one of the most powerful events I think we did was on the Uyghurs in China yeah, and what China is doing with the Uyghurs. And um, a Uyghur woman, Juer Ilham, whose father was detained very famously in China, who actually escaped China alone and made it to America without knowing any English, basically taken in by the State Department and found a home. Um, had just spoken at the General Assembly of the UN before coming to Manny's. And it was so powerful because she would just she just told the stories of what happened to her and her family, what's happening to her family and her people in China. And anyone that was in that room was like, oh my God, like we need to do something. Like, yeah. I, and I really think that, that and that's partly why the, what's so powerful about the Black Lives Matter movement right now is George Floyd's story tragic was told visually to us right instead it's so much more powerful to see a story to hear a story yeah to be a part of a story than to just to hear the importance of an issue or a concept Uh, and so you know it's just all about telling those stories and humanizing these issues next with you if that connects with you then it's about figuring out what your special skill is and contributing that right it doesn't make sense for me to code for people. I don't know how to do that. But like, I know what I can do. I know what I'm good at. I can create space for people, right? We've hosted over 200 political candidates in two years, you know? Mm. 
some of whom now have won their elections and we're going to keep doing it. So um, that's what, that's my special skill. I can create space. I have a platform for people, but what's yours? You know, everyone has to figure that out. Yeah. No, that's really well said. And uh, yeah, if you look at like how do policy or issues take life, it's always through stories. Like effective political campaigns are effect, you know, in essence, storytelling mechanisms about the candidate, about the issues they stand for. And so, yeah, I think that's really well said that if you're looking to translate an issue into action, you got to connect it with the story. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just, just such an old idea, right? Yeah. And it's like, we say it and like, it's so obvious, but you'd be surprised how many times, how often people don't do that. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And I really appreciate you bringing up uh, Black Lives Matter because I think obviously it's really topical. It's a huge, important uh, movement that has been happening for years and is really seemingly picking up steam now in 2020. You know, there's a lot to stay up to speed on these days around, you know, issues of Black Lives Matter, around LGBTQ rights uh, and, and more, you know, just human rights in the U.S. I feel like is like something a lot of us are really just waking up to, like we need to be doing more. So, you know, as someone who runs a bookshop and seems, you know, well-read, well-informed, do you have any uh, book recommendations for folks to read to better understand kind of this moment we're in? Well, I mean, it's... I mean, everyone's kind of reading them, but like Just Mercy, White Fragility, How to Be an Anti-Racist. We're doing a book club with How to Be an Anti-Racist, a digital one, a virtual book club. It's yeah. really great, actually. A lot of people are participating. Um, yeah. Just Mercy is really powerful. Yeah. Love that. Um, and How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yeah. I just finished how to be an anti-racist and yeah, it was, it's very, it's very moving. It's very well done. And it, it leaves you with a lot of food for thought and a lot of kind of areas to look at in your life more deeply, which I think is yeah, very powerful. I also, I also feel like it's important to know some history. Like I just read um, team of rivals, yeah, uh, which was so great and powerful long. I mean, it's like 900 pages, but totally worth it. Yeah. Um, and why I thought it was important is that, <laughs> You know, you and I, Riley, live in the now, but we're products of all the things that have happened before us. Yeah. These policies and this country and our attitudes and, 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 of course, the differentials in the lived experience, specifically between Black Americans and non-Black Americans, is rooted in hundreds of years of war, policy, you know, violence. I mean, there's just so much there. Yeah. And understanding kind of where this comes from is important to absolutely. be fully informed i think absolutely really well said uh what's next for you and for manny's oh my god what do you mean what's next well i mean in terms of the the future of the organization like what what are you what are your plans and your your you know what, what are you thinking for the years ahead well like you said we have an election in four months yeah and we need to win that election we need to take the Senate back. We need to keep our majority in the House, and we need to get this putz out of office. My opinion. I think Imperfect Produce might be a nonprofit, so you know I don't speak for Imperfect Produce here, of course. Um, but we're organizing a really big event to flip the Senate. I can't talk about it yet because it's not public. We're going to do a bunch of stuff with the Biden campaign to help him win. And as always, you know, we'll do whatever we can to protect the House. But we need to win this election. So I'm thinking four months. That's my, I'm, I have like a four month, clear four month goals of what we can do out here on this corner and we can do it without being open to the public, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking about doing like massive, massive communal evening phone banks on Zoom with like a thousand people, you know, everyone's got a glass of wine or a beer, they're at home, but they're dialing, they're dialing Nevada and Colorado and, you know, Arizona and they're, you know, 
like let's mobilize we're all at home now those of us who have a home like let's use the technology that we have to like make a difference from back here so lots of stuff to do between now and november and then after november i mean i think it does depend on what happens in november certainly because it'll affect kind of the what of we do yeah but not not what we're doing i mean i do think other communities i know that other communities want and need spaces like this I don't know that it's necessarily my responsibility or my job or even whether it's appropriate or not for me to be building them, but that's yeah. certainly an option. Um, and then me personally, I don't know. I've never really been one to make like plan out things. You yeah. know, this, the whole project came about kind of, I left the Clinton campaign and didn't have a job and was floating around for a bit. I worked at a coffee shop. Like, you know, I, I don't think I'm one of those people who's going to have, I don't have it all planned out, I guess. Yeah. It's hard to have it all planned out these days, too, I think, with the global pandemic. There's just so much up in the air that I've personally had to kind of cut back on trying to plan more than a couple months out, just because we, we don't know, which is which is humbling, to say the least. Well, yes. It is humbling. I feel like, you know, and I'm sure you can relate to this every day, every like hour, frankly, it's like a different mo- emotional space. But, the COVID coaster? Yeah, for sure. Today, I'm kind of like, I read this article this morning on Venice and how it's lost its tourist industry. And it's actually giving Venice a time to like reflect and figure out like, what kind of place do we want to be? And, and who do we want to be? What do we want to do? Um, and where do, how do we want to evolve? Because they're being forced to take this hard look at themselves. And I walked through the cast strip today and I was kind of this morning early, right after I, I'm an early riser kind of type. Um, and I walked through the caster after reading this article and I, and I, and I really felt this like pensiveness about like, what does San Francisco want to be? You know, hmm. who do we want to be? And, and actually now we're being given an opportunity to like really try to answer that question in a way, you know, rents are going down. Certain companies are leaving. Folks are going to be able to work from home. A lot of small businesses are going to close, you know, the city's going to change and where yeah. do we want it to go? That's that's a really great question. This is a moment for all of us to do that type of reflection and introspection about, you know, we have essentially a blank slate or kind of a pause button. What do yeah. we want to do once we hit that play again or kind of begin to draw in the, the blank spaces? Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that process. Totally. Yeah, me, me too. I think that's, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, a really, really positive outlook. Um, I'd love to get onto the speed round now. These are okay. some fun closer questions uh, to get All to right. know you a little bit better. Um, right. Okay, the first one is, is there anything you would encourage folks listening to follow up with or explore in more depth on their own time? Well, you should definitely go to Manny's various social media pages because we post a lot of stuff there. It's yep. at Welcome to Manny's. So it's at Welcome to Manny's on Facebook and Welcome to Manny's on Instagram and Welcome to Manny's on Twitter. So please do follow us. Subscribe to our YouTube page where we're putting up the videos of our events. Again, Welcome to Manny's. Um, I love the Ezra Klein show as well yeah. as the podcast because so much we just like, I feel like so much of today, you just kind of like surface level understandings, but I love how he goes deep. And so I love listening to the Ezra Klein show. We've hosted Ezra Klein a couple of times. I got to know him. I can like text him now after his shows and like tell him what I think, which is, <laughs> makes me feel so cool. Um, and so that's really good. Uh, things to follow up with. Yes. Um, swing left. 
which is going to be important to get, you know, making sure that your districts swing. Awesome. Uh, excellent. And what, what's a positive change you've made in your life in the past year you think that folks listening should try? Um, what's a positive change that I've made in my life that folks should try? Drink less beer. Awesome. And if you want to, if you're cooking for somebody and you want to make them feel loved, what are you going to make for them? Me personally? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, probably lamb (laughs) because I never eat it and it's so special and I can't even find it. I keep kosher and I know lamb has its, has issues with, you know, you know, I don't really eat a lot of meat. I eat almost no meat for that reason, but mm-hmm. I really want to make someone feel special. I have to go to Oakland and go to Oakland kosher. There's only one place and I have to get frozen lamb and like defrost it. And like, it's a whole thing. So, you know, I love you if I make lamb for you. <laughs> That's a lot of work. <laughs> awesome. Well said. And what ingredient could you not live without? Turmeric. I put turmeric in everything. I'm half Afghan. Uh, my father was born and raised in Afghanistan, and I've, I've put turmeric. I will put turmeric in the most unexpected things. I was into turmeric before turmeric was cool. I was eating turmeric as like a child <laughs> on like eggs and pizza and chicken and everything because my dad turmeric a thousand percent. My ta- my drag name is Tanya Turmeric. Wow, this is amazing. Uh, yeah, it's a super ingredient. Really, really underrated. I think culinarily. I mean, obviously, uh, perhaps. <laughs> in, in uh, huge parts of like the Middle East and Southeast Asia, like they know about it. I think in the US, we're kind of new. We're new to the curve. We're like, oh my God, the super ingredients. Like, yeah, they've been it's cooking with so it. In- it's so interesting years. to hear people talk about how amazing turmeric is. Cause I just remember like bulk tubs of turmeric yeah. growing up and my dad, like his hands being all yellow after yep. cooking for, fra- you know, Shabbat. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it stains your hands. That's one, I guess, word of caution to folks if you're going to start cooking with it a lot is just keep in mind like your cuticles will be bright, like highlighter yellow for a week afterwards, especially if you have you ever cooked with the fresh root? No, no, just the powder. I, I, I picked up the root once just I had a curiosity at Berkeley Bowl and it's uh, it is even more bright than the dried stuff. Like it just like stained my cutting board, like my knives, my fingers. Yes, like, but it's, it's a it's a it's a badge of honor. That's true. Yeah, the yeah, more yeah. stained, the better. <laughs> well said well said and what is your least favorite thing to waste my least favorite thing to waste yeah waste i don't waste a, i try not to waste a lot of anything really i mean uh my first my first thought was food right i think it's just there are a lot of hungry people in this world and the waste food, i was just raised in a family where you finish what was on your plate you know you don't waste food yeah um but I think a sunset might be <laughs> the second answer. Like, and that maybe represents just like beauty around us because life is precious and there are a lot of people who are no longer living. And um, if the world gives us something beautiful, we should respect it and appreciate it. Let's not waste those sunsets or sunrises. I'm a sunrise person. Absolutely. And what is your go-to karaoke song? Probably Mariah Carey, Vanishing. Okay. I actually know the lip sync to that extremely well. Epic. Uh, And who's somebody you admire tremendously and what do you admire about them? Oh my God, it's going to sound so (laughs) um, cliche, but maybe because I just read Team of Rivals, definitely Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I admire about him is his humility. Yeah. I think humility is a is a trait in our politicians and our public servants that we don't necessarily always search for, but is actually 
extremely important in their ability to be good or even transformational at what they do. Because well the said. opposite of humility can make them really bad at what they do. Yep. Definitely well said there. And finally, what are you grateful for this week? My staff. I have the most amazing staff at Manny's. Most of them haven't left. They've been with us since the first day. And wow. they so they so believe in what we do through thick and thin, right? Through yeah. all the ups and downs. And they're smart and they're committed and they're, they have fires in their belly and they're good people. And I'm proud of them and I'm grateful for them. Sam, Jupiter, Ram, Christian, all the folks at the front, Red, Justin, Angelina, Ananda, Randy, Sarah, all of them. Awesome. What a, what a lovely note of gratitude to conclude on. Manny, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, where can folks learn more about you and the work that you do? Welcome to Manny's.com. Perfect. Or Facebook.com slash Welcome to Manny's. Excellent. And we'll have links to everything we talked about today in the show notes and on our website, our new content site, thewholecarrot.com, where this episode will live. So definitely check that out once it's live. And if you have any comments or questions, just shoot us an email at feedback at unwastedpodcast.com. Manny, thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you, Riley. And thank you, everyone in the Imperfect family for listening. Have a good day. 